We began a series several weeks ago on the book of Acts, and uh, we are now continuing in that series, and so we, are, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 15. And so if you have your Bibles with you or your uh, iPhones or iPads or whatever, if you want to turn over to Acts 15, that's where we're going to camp out. Now, on the screen it says Season 2, Episode 3. If you've been with us, you know that we've divided, we haven't divided. The book of Acts sort of naturally falls in two halves. And so we decided in our kind of uh, modern vernacular, maybe we're used to thinking of it as a TV show, a TV series. So there's Season 1 and then there's Season 2. And Season 1, the kind of the lead character was Peter. And so we, we saw Peter taking the lead role in the church and doing a lot of miracles and, 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 and giving sermons. And, and now we, we're We've begun kind of season two, which is um, where Paul begins to take a more prominent role. And so here we are. This is, if you, if you will, episode three of season two, where, where Paul's kind of carrying on the journey. Now, several, for several years, I was part of a worship band that's still going right now called the Desperation Band. And a lot of my good buddies are still part of it, and, and I'm proud of them and everything they're doing. And, and I was involved in helping to start the band, and I'm looking at Stephen Todd, their son Eric, was part, part of the band in the early years as well. He lasted a little longer than I did because I'm a little older than he is. Uh, they didn't kick me out or anything. I sort of kicked myself out. Um, but, but I stepped out in about 2008, but prior to that, we, we would travel a lot, and we had this... Uh, you know, we, we were, you know, we would get flown into different places to travel and to, to play and lead worship. And it was a great honor, but also strange because we're just a bunch of young punks in our 20s, you know. But, but the, the upside to that was that one of the upsides anyway, was that uh, I got a lot of frequent flyer miles. And so at the result of getting frequent flyer miles, and those of you who travel know this, is you start to get certain privileges after a while. And so then you get the, the first kind of notch of privileges if you're a United person. Any United frequent flyers here? Woo-woo. Actually, we're just telling ourselves it's good because we're stuck with them. But, you know, <laughs> but... Um, but, but the, the, the first kind of level of privilege is you, you get premier status. And what that means is if you're flying out of DIA, you get... A shorter security line. You don't have to go through the long security line. So it's a funny thing that happens because initially when we got, a number of us got premier status, uh, it was kind, we were sort of embarrassed about it. You know, like we would go through the airport security line almost apologetically where everyone, families with kids are, you know, standing in this long wraparound line and we're kind of a couple of young dudes like just sort of cutting the whole line and going in front. And at first, you know, you sort of feel bad about it, but then eventually you kind of feel proud of it, you know, and you're like, Yep, yep, no, that's me, no, I'm premier, I, I'm here, you know, and, 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 then, and then the pride sort of takes on another dimension, at least for me, where you see people who are going through the security line, and those of you that fly a lot, you'll appreciate this, and you see someone who, inevitably, there's always one poor, unsuspecting person who gets to the front of the line and says, what? oh, I have to take my shoes off? Oh, oh, and my belt? Have you not gotten on an airplane since 1999? I mean, like, what? And, and you, you find yourself kind of looking at this person and thinking, oh my gosh, you're holding up the whole line. I mean, don't you know? This is how it works now, you know? And you kind of think, ah, rookie, you know? I'm premier. You're a rookie. <laughs> and this, this pride sort of develops where instead of just being grateful for the privileges you have, you all of a sudden develop the kind of pride that says, well, I don't want anyone else to have these same privileges. Now, I imagine, I don't know if you've ever had this extent of pride with air, airline status, 
But if you've, you know, if you've done the, what is it, the 1K or whatever it is, and you get access to the lounge, I've never flown that much. It, yeah, here's Jim Cole, who, who flies enough to get that, okay? And, and several of you, I know Gary, I mean, a lot of you have the access to the secret lounges, you know? And, um, and, and, and if, you have, if you have access to those places, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but I would. I, I would come in and look around and think, is that, does that person belong here? I mean, I don't think he's flown a hundred... It doesn't look like... I mean, what kind of job would he have? I mean, I mean, everyone else is in suits, but who's the student flip-flops, you know? Like, California startup company, maybe? Or, you know? And, uh, and you're just trying to... Who, 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 does everyone else here belong? Because the greatest tragedy would be that if we got all these privileges and someone who didn't log the miles all of a sudden got them too. Wouldn't that be the greatest tragedy? If all of a sudden all of our years of flying and airports and bad food and 6 a.m. wake-up calls or 4 a.m. And after, after all of that, you mean this kid gets to come in the lounge too? Well, that's a little bit, only a lot more, of how the church might have felt when the Gentiles just started coming in willy-nilly. And they said, wait a minute, who's letting these people in? Don't they have to go? There's a proper order here and you can't, we can't just be letting everybody in. We've suffered through this. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, right? So shouldn't they have to do something to show that they're good Jews? After all, we did. Why are these guys just being allowed in? You know, it's funny because even before we get to this text, you can already sense the way that we resonate with this theme, isn't it? If you're new to following Jesus or you aren't following Jesus yet, maybe this is to come for you. But there's, a, there's this thing that happens the first moment you begin following Jesus and you really understand that your sins have been forgiven and that you've been brought into relationship with God and peace floods your heart. And all of a sudden you're just so thrilled about everything. But a funny thing happens along the way. And the longer we follow Jesus, the more pride we sort of develop about what we've done, the more sort of patting ourselves on the back of, of well, you know, well, I sort of deserved this, you know. Or, you know, I've kind of made the joke in the past, we say to Jesus, you know, subconsciously, Lord, thanks for dying for me, that you made a good investment in me. I'm a good return on your investment of your life, because I, I mean, I've, made, I've done good on this. And so a funny thing kind of happens along the way where we sort of imagine that we're better, that we deserve, and then someone else comes in and you say, wait a minute, he just said that he's a Christian, I don't know about that. I mean, I've heard the music in his car. It ain't safe for the whole family. I mean, let's just say that. Because, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. Acts 15. The cast of characters that are kind of there uh, is, um, is an interesting crew. It's really a mixed group. And, and I won't read. We'll skip and we'll start with verse 7. But just to give you a bit of a backdrop to this, basically there are some believers who are from the Pharisee background from the group of the, called the Pharisees that have become followers of Jesus. And they're kind of insisting that for these Gentiles to get in, they've got to first be circumcised, which is another way of saying they need to become good Jews, and then they can become followers of Jesus. Now, some of you probably have grown up in church, and we've learned in church to kind of equate Pharisees with bad guys, right? Pharisee, oh, never. That's like the... Christian sort of F word, or only it's PH, but it is, that, that, you just, you, Pharisee, that, that, don't, don't say that, don't call me that, you know, but actually Pharisee, sorry, uh, fa- actually Pharisees were good people, they, they had good intentions, and there's this whole long story about how the Pharisees and why the Pharisees were Pharisees, 
one sort of short explanation to it is they were convinced that they were still living under oppression and under Roman occupation because they had not yet been faithful to God and to His law. And so the Pharisees figured, guys, our people are just too immoral and too sinful, and so that's why God hasn't blessed our nation. Sound familiar, right? This is their logic. And so if we could just be holy enough, everything will change. And so the Pharisees, there's several different groups of Pharisees that, 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 sort of, um, that we, we've learned about. One, one group you know, was so zealous about not accidentally lusting after a woman that they would cover their eyes while they walked. Now, literally, they were called the bleeding Pharisee. Oh, you, know, you can imagine why. But these are people that are committed to the Lord, that are committed to Yahweh, that are trying to show that they are devout. Imagine if you're a good Christian and you've spent your life praying for the church and you've spent your life saying no to this and 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 And then all of a sudden someone comes in (laughs) disheveled and unkempt and says, I kind of want to believe in Jesus. And you're saying, dude, get in the back of the line. Do you know what I've been through? Do you know all the years that I've suffered? Do you know all the sacrifice? Right? So now, if you can imagine that, and I think you can, you can imagine why these Pharisees who had now become followers of Jesus wanted to say, look, you can't just let these Gentiles in. And so you've got those guys, but then you've got Peter, who's a fisherman, who's sort of simple, and he's saying, look, all I know is I went here and the Holy Spirit did this. And, <laughs> and then you've got Paul in this group, who Paul is from the group of the Pharisees, highly educated, and he's saying, guys, I know where you're coming from, but this is a rowdy staff meeting. I mean, this is a staff meeting of, this is the non-homogenous church. This is where everybody kind of represents a different viewpoint, and they're strong about it. So things are getting tense. Verse 7, after much debate, and I love that word, because healthy teams not only need to have diverse perspectives, but they need to be able to have the art of debate. After much debate, Peter stood and addressed them, fellow believers, you know that early on God chose me from among you as the one through whom the Gentiles will hear the word of the gospel and come to believe. I love how Peter wears this like a badge now. This was the dude a few chapters ago who was like, never God, I will never go to a Gentile's home. Now he's like, no, no, guys, you know, I was the first one to do this. (laughs) God, who knows people's deepest thoughts and desires, confirmed this by giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, but purified their deepest thoughts and desires through faith. I want to say three things this morning about what it means to be a gospel community, a community that's shaped by the gospel, the radical message of the gospel. And the first is this, the gospel levels the ground. It levels the ground. Peter's saying, look, I was the first one that God chose. And listen to some of his phrases, just as God did with us, he did to to them. There's not a JV Holy Spirit. There's not a Gentile version. Holy Spirit, Gentile edition. This is salvation, but for the really bad sinners version. This is not like a, a, a tiered level where you can say, well, this is for the really one, the ones who've been great. 
And then this is for the ones that are second class, and these are the ones who've been really bad. Yes, you can get saved, but only by the skin of your teeth. And sometimes we make it feel that way, don't we? Where all of a sudden there's rank. And Peter's saying, now listen, God poured out His Spirit on the Gentiles just as He did with us. The gospel levels the ground. The gospel is the great equalizer. And for some of you, that's really good news because you're saying, wow, that, that, that meant me being raised up. And others of you, you're like, that's kind of bad news because you just brought me down. Right. And maybe depending on the kind of place you are in life, that idea, the idea of the gospel le- being the thing that levels the ground could be humbling news that brings you back down to say, you, you, you know, without grace, without Jesus, where would you be? And maybe on other days it's the most beautiful word ever because you're saying, thank God that before the cross we're all on the same ground. Some of the things we're trying to do here even in our service setting is intentional. The reason for the cross on the stage is because there's, there's only one thing that gets the center. And it's, it's the thing that makes us think of Jesus and His work and the gospel. And I'm, I'm trying to preach from the floor because what's the message I'm trying to say to you in this? I'm on the same ground as you are before the cross. The pastor doesn't stand on higher ground and say, well, you know what, I've been doing this longer. Let, let me, uh, you know. And that's not what people mean when they have a stage. I'm just trying to say that's what we're trying to reinforce visually here, that this really is level ground. The gospel levels the ground. Nobody gets lifted up above someone else. We all stand before the cross saying, Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for His grace. So I may not have done that or that or that, but I did this and I did this and I did this. And I think the great lie that kind of develops in us the longer we walk with Jesus is we start to kind of grade things. And we say, well, you know, I mean, I was bad, but I wasn't that bad. Or I have a past, but I never did that. Well, did you need the cross? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, did you need Jesus to come and die for our sins? Well, yeah. Okay, let's start there. It's level ground. Now, friends, we could do a whole nother sermon on how sins are not equal in terms of the way they are destructive to us. Paul writes a lot about this. Different sins affect us differently. They destroy. Some sins are more destructive to you and to your marriage and to your heart. Lust is one of those things. Sexual sins is one of those things where it's, it's the, the level of destruction is different. But don't confuse the, way, the effect that sin has on you and your life with before God. Does that make sense? Before God, we're all in need of grace. It levels the ground. Secondly, Peter goes on, verse 10, Why then are you now challenging God by placing a burden on the shoulders of these disciples that neither we nor our ancestors could bear? On the contrary, we believe that we and they are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is Peter saying, okay, look, don't burden, burden them with all of these Jewish laws because in case you forgot, we didn't do good, so good with those either. Oh, yeah, well, that's a good point. You know, the other day, yesterday actually, Holly and I, we were, we were doing a bunch of stuff and we were kind of on the run and so we... We ran out to, to grab some food through the drive-thru, which we occasionally do. We're normal folks. Uh, we don't always eat organic, homegrown. Um, but, um, but, um, but so we're, we're, we're driving through the drive-thru real quick, and, um, 
and uh, I'm, I'm keeping the bag on my lap because I, and Holly's driving and I'm saying, okay, I don't want the kids to get stuff out because I just cleaned out the van. Can I get an amen, somebody, you know? Uh, it was our wedding anniversary, you know, a week or so ago, and that was my gift to my wife. I vacuumed that thing. I washed it. So, so the, you know, Jonas is saying, Dad, I want some fries. I'm saying, buddy, you can wait, okay? And in, in a sweet and loving voice. And uh, so... So we're, we're, we're doing, and, 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 you know, he keeps asking, and he keeps, the girls are old enough, they're great, they're, but he's two, and he wants his fries, you know, and, uh, and all the while, Holly and I are picking from the bag and eating the fries. <laughs> so at, at one moment, at one moment, I turned to Holly, and I said, why can't they, they just be patient? And she looks at me, and she goes, you're not. It's <laughs> like, and that's why I married you. <laughs> So, so here, you know, I mean, this is a little bit like that. The, why, why can't the Gentiles follow all these laws? Excuse me? How'd you do with following all those laws? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> right? This is a backpack that I bought when I first moved to Colorado because I was excited about becoming Colorado. <laughs> And uh, it never really happened, but I have the gear for it. And, um, and when I first got this backpack, I, I realized how amazing a backpack is because it allows you to carry a lot more gear than you could, you know, otherwise. In fact, I heard a story of a friend who's a college pastor and he led some of his 20-somethings on a backpacking trip and a gal showed up with a beach bag and a duffel bag. Now, even I know he don't do that, Okay. But the, but the thing is, is so, so if someone starts following Jesus, and they're saying, okay, great, thanks for this new equipment. I mean, this is amazing. Thank you for this. And then it doesn't take long, Bobby. You somewhere, Bobby? Oh, you guys, okay, great. And it doesn't take long, and so here, go ahead. And people come along and say, well, you know what you really need is you really need this. And you say, okay, well, that, you know, all right, fine. And then, and then you're walking along, and, 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 and you're going through life. And so, you know, you know what, if, honestly, if you're going to be, uh, if God is going to be, you know, Happy that you, what are you doing, man? Oh, you're just, oh. And all of a sudden, it just kind of weighs down. You remember the old Pilgrim's Progress thing? I mean, this is the, all of a sudden, the knapsack becomes heavier. And, and this is the image that, that Peter's saying. He says, look, we couldn't live under the burden of this. Why are you putting it on them? Well, I don't know, man, because this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. And this is what you've got to do. And look, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to, and listen, you need to get all of this stuff done. And it's kind of like you're telling someone, you got to get clean before you take a bath. It just doesn't make much sense. Thank you. Yeah, just, just everyone who's got stuff, just add it to me, you know. One more? Yeah? Go ahead. Shove it in there, Bryce. So this, you know, it just kind of, all, and it doesn't take long. You say, well, what? I can't do this. And then all of a sudden, oh, Leonard, okay, just jump in. And then all of a sudden, someone says, well, if this is what it means, that I've got to carry this, and I've got to be this good, and I've got to, before I can even, then I, I, I'm walking away, right? And this is what we do to people sometimes. So we say, okay, listen, oh, you're in, you're in church. Thank you for coming to church. Listen, here's all the things that I need from you. It's just, and then we all of a sudden start shoving the backpack. And it doesn't take long before someone says, wait, 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 I thought that like this was about grace and something different. Well, yes, kind of, but there's all these different, you know. And then they say, okay, well, you can have your backpack back, and you can have all this stuff back, because that doesn't sound like very good news. 
The gospel doesn't just level the ground. The gospel lifts our burdens. The gospel lifts our burdens. Jesus is called our burden bearer. The gospel is about us recognizing that, look, there were these things like all of life that we could not do. And Jesus came and did for us what we could not. And Jesus, by His Spirit, is doing through us what we cannot. When I first moved to Colorado and I was still sort of you know, excited about being Colorado, um, which is now an adjective, um, I, I found out that a group of our interns from our church were going to hike Pikes Peak. And uh, Ross Parsley, who was uh, my boss at the time, thought it would be a wonderful idea for me to just, just join them. And I was thinking, oh, well, okay, I'll just join them. They're doing it this weekend. I moved here a month ago. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know. And so, so <laughs> I've got this little, you know, red and black North Face backpack. You know, it's the right brand, so I'm thinking I'm, I'm set. And, and in it, I've got my little peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I've got a couple of saltines and a water bottle, a Nalgene water bottle. I mean, I was ready, man. REI was, was my supplier. And... Um, it's amazing how heavy a load gets the longer you walk uphill. And it was just a little tiny backpack. And three hours in, it felt like a ton of bricks. It's like, man, I cannot carry this. I kinda, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I should be able to do this, but I can't do this. And that's how some of us feel sometimes, isn't it? I should be able to do this. I should be able to be a nicer, a better friend. I should be able to be more kind. I, I should, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. It's just this, it's just these, I mean, I, I should be able to carry it. But we all know that life goes on like an uphill climb. And before you know it, the burden of what we're supposed to be and do wears you out. And we want to know, is God going to push us off the mountain Or is the gospel the good news that Jesus comes and says, let me take that. It's not so much what you've done or can do. It's what I've done. I'm taking this burden off of you. I had a friend who became a friend, rather, on this hike because he took my backpack. He said, Glenn, I'll take it. I'll carry it. Actually, he came up the first time and I said, no, no, I got it, man. I got it. Like 30 minutes later, I was looking for him. Like, where's that dude, man? Where's that dude? And I gave it to him, and he carried it. And I walked, and then I needed to stop, and I stopped, and he stopped with me. And then we walked, and then we stopped, and we walked, and we stopped. Friends, the gospel is such good news because Jesus lifts the burdens off your life. The burdens that you cannot carry, the weight of saying, I should be, I ought to be, I know I'm not, I can't, I can't. And the gospel says, you know what? Jesus has come for this purpose, to save, to rescue, to redeem. He came as one of us so that He can say, I've shared in your life. I've carried your burden. I've gone to the cross. Behold, Jesus has lifted your burden. And For some of us, the burden is not just obligation. The burden maybe is guilt or the shame of mistakes and saying how every mistake is another rock in the pack. Every failure is another rock in the pack. I can't carry this anymore. And the gospel says, right, you can't. But there is one who can, and he did. Amen? And Peter's saying, listen, 
Don't place a burden on the Gentiles. Who are you kidding? Don't you know our history? Our story is we were called as the people of God and we could not stay faithful. Jesus came as the faithful Israelite to fulfill the call. In fact, some newer translations in the the New Testament say it this way. It's by the faithfulness of Christ. So sometimes we make even faith our kind of thing. You know, well, how great is my faith? But some better renditions of of some key verses in Romans and Galatians say, say it like this. It's by our trust in the faithfulness of Jesus, the Messiah. Friends, the good news is that Jesus is faithful. That the burdens that you cannot carry, He carried. The weight that you can't lift, He lifted on the cross. The gospel lifts our burdens. If we skip down to verse 13, when Barnabas and Paul also fell silent, James responded, fellow believers, listen to me. Simon reported how in his kindness God came to the Gentiles in the first place to raise up from them a people of God. The prophet's words agree with this. Therefore, I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for Gentiles to turn to God. Instead, we should write a letter telling them to avoid the pollution associated with idols, sexual immorality, eating meat from strangled animals, and consuming blood. And after all, Moses has been proclaimed in every city for a long time and is read aloud every Sabbath in every synagogue. Now, it's not as if James says, all right, well, just uh, let them in and don't give them any instructions about how they're supposed to live. That's not it either, is it? See, there's kind of two pitfalls here. The one is to say, let's put all the burdens on them before they come to Christ. And the other is to say, come to Jesus. He's done it all. And so there are no instructions for how you should live. So carry on then. But that's not it, is it? That's not what they're saying. Carry on then. There's no instructions. They give him some key instructions. And these may sound like strange ones to us, meat offered to idols and strangled blood. You're like, wait, wait, wait a minute, you tell me I can't eat steak rare? You know? The issue with this stuff is there's, there's two big issues. But really, they both have to do with this one thing. It's the word community. It has to do with community. When you're surrounding yourself eating the meat offered to idols and, and often connected with idolatry, there's this whole community connected to the temple, the, the pagan temples. There's the, there's the meat and the eating. There's the prostitutes and the immorality. There's just the regular immorality connected, that's sort of an offshoot of that. And then, you know, the, the meat itself. But, but basically what James is saying is, look, you've got to exit that community. You've got to leave that one. And then he's saying, now look, if you're going to exit that community, you're going to need to join the other community, which includes some Jews. And let's be honest, Jews aren't going to have table fellowship with you if you're eating meat that has blood in it. You're just making it hard for them. And so this whole thing that James sets up really has to do with leaving one community and being fully integrated into a new one. Does that make sense? This is James, this is, these are, this is the early church's, their leader's way of saying, look, following Jesus is not a solo act. Following Jesus is not about coming to the cross and having your burdens lifted and saying, woo, now I'm on my own and I'll do whatever I want, thank you very much. But all of a sudden, you're set in community, in families. Think of the beautiful passages. It says, he sets the lonely in families. All of us, I mean, maybe, adoption language is a beautiful language where we've been brought into this thing. And the only way to kind of learn a new family is not by reading up on it by yourself. 
It's by being part of that family. Sometimes people think, you know, uh, 20-somethings, oh, they're so disillusioned with the church. So what we ought to do is get a bunch of 20-somethings and 30-somethings and everyone who's disillusioned. Let's just get them all on their own and then we'll minister to them and then we'll encourage them to go back into the church. Right. Honestly, I get a little bit angry when, I, when people talk like that. Because how do you teach an orphan how to be a son or a daughter? You bring them into your family. If someone has, has only had abusive homes, a foster child, has only had situations that are, what, what do you do? Do you make them study up, on, read this book on healthy family relationships, and then when you're ready, you can come into our home now? What? Several families at New Life Church have brought in foster, children from the foster system. Several of you have adopted you know that the way it happens, if there's a person who's hurting and doesn't understand relationships and is dysfunctional with family, the, the way you bring healing to them is you bring them into a healthy family. Am I right? So it doesn't do any good to me to say, well, these people are disillusioned with church. Let's go get them all by themselves in a coffee shop and just have them you know, hang out. You need to be part of a new community and watch what God might do. I have friends that are part of our community that don't yet believe in Jesus. I love that. I think that's, that's right. Because the only way we grow is by being sort of around it. And these guys, these leaders are saying, they, they recognize this and they're saying, okay, look, there is a new way of living. And you don't need to live this way so that you can be saved, but you live this way since you have been saved saved. Amen? Martin Luther said it this way, so we're not saved by good works, but we're saved for good works. So there is a new way of living. And actually, if you think about it, even the Torah in the Old Testament was meant to be instructions to be a new community. Israel was supposed to be this kind of model nation, model people out of every other people and community. They were supposed to be a unique community, a special city, a special people. And God didn't ask him to follow these rules and then save them, right? Follow me a little Bible quiz here. Did God give Israel the law before he brought them out of Egypt or after? So he saves them. And then he gives them instructions, right? How many of you, when you hear the word law, think rules? That's the bummer about the word law. But the word Torah does not strictly mean law. It means teaching. It means instruction. It was always meant to be, this is how you live. The difference, though, between then and now, or them and us, is we now have the Holy Spirit at work in us to actually give you the power to live this out. There are instructions for a new way of living. You are, when you say yes to Jesus, He is calling you out of an old community. Psalm 1 says it this way, don't walk with sinners, don't stand in the way of scoffers, don't sit. In the, because if you go that way, you're going to find yourself farther down the road. It does no good to say, oh, I came to Jesus, I said yes, He forgave my sins, but I'm going back to my old community. Guess which trajectory that's headed not the way you're going. But coming to Jesus does mean kind of saying no to an old community. And for these guys, it was a community that was shaped by the idol worship and temple stuff and meat and all that stuff. And, and James is saying, you've got to leave that world. And you've got to join this one. Say yes to a new community. Look, 
church is many things. There is a part of the church that is like an organization. It takes a lot of organization to make this happen. There's a part of the church that is an institution. And people bag that sometimes. Oh, institutional. I don't want institution. Listen, if you want anything to last long enough for your children to benefit from it, guess what it's going to be? An institution. We're sitting in a high school that was built in 1939. It's an institution. Right? There's something about the order of it that allows it to be longevity. But church is not just those things. Church is, maybe at its core, a gospel-shaped community. A community of people that say, we understand that Jesus has leveled the ground. We understand that Jesus has lifted our burdens. We understand that Jesus has led us to a new way of life. The gospel leads us to this new way of living. And we walk together, just like the friend who walked with me all the way up Pikes Peak. Took my backpack. See, this is the beautiful thing, is we get to live out a little bit of how Jesus is with us, with one another. So Paul says, look, you now bear one another's burdens in Galatians. So Jesus is our great burden bearer, so we can kind of begin to do this and say, wait, are you, going, are you Jeff, is this going through a rough path? Come on, let's, we'll pray with you. Let's, we'll, we'll carry these burdens with you. One of the things that I am most excited about is to see the kind of community that develops here, even here at New Life Downtown. Every local church is to be an expression of this unique and special community. You know, the world is longing to see a picture of true community. We long for it. We talk, they talk about you know, United Nations. Let's get all the people together. Or, you know, let's make the perfect this. So let's all, you know. And every system, it's, 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 it's a nice attempt even the, the, the bumper sticker thing of let's you know, coexist and all, you know, let's just try to sort of all be harmonious. And those, those, those are nice attempts, but there's only one thing that really forms a cohesive community. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. To be a gospel-shaped community is the only thing powerful enough, strong enough, deep enough, revolutionary enough to take people who don't belong normally together and put them together. Some of you were with me at this, but on Monday night, Timothy Keller was speaking at First Pres. He's the pastor of a Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, New York City. He's got 5,000 people. Several of them are 20-somethings and 30-somethings. He talked about, he said, the thing about church is that it's so different than any other community because what brought you here this morning was not that you all love all of the same things. Now, we probably love a lot of the same things. We probably will all go back this afternoon and watch the Broncos play their third preseason game and cheer like it's the playoffs just because we've been starved of, for football. Okay, so not all of you. <laughs> We're not all here because we all have the same political bent. We're not all here because we believe in the same candidate. We're not all here because we came from the same country. We're not all here because we're from the same ethnicity. We're not... Why are we all here? Because Jesus has saved us. And that means that's a recipe for friction. Because all of a sudden, so what you and I have in common, Leonard, is Jesus? What about all the other stuff, man? <laughs> Do you think we're going to have some opportunities to forgive one another? You bet. Do you think there's going to be some opportunities for, for us to, hey man, you, you, you know, I thought this was a downtown church. I, I saw you getting off at Monument, you know. <laughs> I ride my bicycle, man. 
You think we're going to have some opportunities to rub shoulders with people who are not like us? Yeah. Look, this was the central issue for the early church. Everybody says, well, I want to be like the early church. You know what their, their biggest challenge was? How are we going to get along, Jews and Gentiles, people who don't belong together except that Jesus put us together? Oh, boy. We learn the art of practicing forgiveness and patience and kindness and all of those things because the gospel has shaped us. Because when we believe the gospel, we understand that the ground is level and so there's no one else for you to look down on. Where are you going to look? It's you. You're on the bottom. Oh, it levels the ground. It lifts our burden. So we're not going to find people and say, oh, well, um, excuse me, but you need to tuck in your shirt. And I, I, I don't know about those tattoos. Can you remove them? Yeah. <laughs> levels the ground, lifts the burdens, and leads us to a new kind of community. Amen? Amen. We're going to come to the table of the Lord together, and this is a beautiful way to end to kind of bring everything about the service kind of to its culminating point. We do this each week because it reminds us that it's the table of the Lord that reminds us that we're a family, right? We don't have a lot of family meals around a table much anymore. I think we need to bring it back. And we need to bring it back because as Christians, we gather around a family table every week. And we remember that our Lord was the gracious host. And it's in, in beholding Jesus as our great host that we learn table manners with one another. And we learn how to talk with each other. We learn how to live out this gospel-shaped community.